Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From UFOs to psychic powers and government conspiracies, history is riddled with unexplained events. You can turn back now or learn the stuff they don't want you to know. Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt, a.k.a. Daddy Two Hands, and my name is Noel, a.k.a. Big Money Hustler Dollar Bill Boy Brown. Oh, I thought they were calling you Flashback. I'll take it. Oh, well, anyway. I stack, the, I stack nicknames like I stack my ducats. There we go. There we I, go. Frequently, I, 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 frequently uh, and high. Yeah. Yeah, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, they call me Ben. You are you. That makes this stuff they don't want you to know. Uh, this will be an episode with many nicknames involved, yes. right? Uh, this will be an episode where instead of too much of an anecdote at the beginning, we're going to jump right into it. This is a strange question, uh, and we even thought of a little bit of a theme song to introduce it, which, Noel, if you'll... Well, we got to do it together. We we couldn't get clearance from the OJ's guys. Let's do okay. So we'll do we'll change it up slightly. Okay. Um, dollar 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 dollar. Did a vocal like And then you got to go. Then you go dollar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That works. That works. I think. I think we're. You see uh, what we, we should all about. be. We should all. We we, we have to be disposed of. <laughs> uh, 
Perhaps, but we will finish this episode even if they're dragging us out to be shot one by one. Today's episode is about money, the scratch, the cheese, the cheddar, the moolah, the bucks, the dollars, the Benjamins, not to be confused with Ben Bucks, uh, the, the Gibraltars, the, the Grands. I'm just looking for slang for money here. Sure, guys. sure, sure. Uh, Uncle Jimmy's folding papers. That's my favorite so far. <laughs> Well, yeah, let's let's just get the badger out of the bag here. Today's episode ask whether money is a religion. Wow. Wampum. Wampum, yeah. See? So go. I need you here. All right, thanks. I appreciate I'm, I'm stuck on, <laughs> I'm stuck on that question. Is money a religion? That's well, that's intense. It all go back to that old saying is that the root of money is the love of all things good in the world. Mm-hmm. Huh. Isn't that how it goes? Something to that effect, yeah. right? Or, or the uh, the love of money is the root of the problem, right? Or the love of money is the root of all evil. Mine right? was much more positive sound. I feel like yours was much more positive. Uh, maybe this saying comes from a, a a more negative earlier time. That's fair. You know, we can uh, we can take it to the Bible if you want to. I've got a, a verse here from the King James version uh, from Luke. If you you want to go sure, with this, please. yeah, yeah, yeah. It says this is the damn show. This is Luke sixteen thirteen. It says, "No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and Mammon." Now you might be asking yourself, "What the heck is a Mammon?" Or what the what the heck is a Mammon? Is, <laughs> is this some sort of gland? Well, it's a word that refers to either the physical wealth, like riches. Or to the emotional state of greed. And interestingly enough, in the Middle Ages, we're talking Europe, 5th century to like 15th century, that name, Mammon, was commonly referred to as a an actual deity, a demon. A demon of wealth and greed, right? Yeah. Yeah, so we see that there is a little bit of an antag... Well, little bit is an unfair phrase. We sure. see that there is clear antagonism throughout civilization between organized religions and... Uh, financial power, although the two are very much linked. In many yes. cases, they're fingers on the same hand. So to some people listening, this is an, an offensive question, right? How, sure. how dare you, or if we want to get old biblical with it, how dare ye, uh, compare something worldly with something spiritual, right? Especially if you're, um, you know, a, fa- a fairly wealthy person, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, by any comparative standard, mm-hmm. but you also you know, feel deeply religious sure. and, you know, worship a, a god of some sort. And that's not just, you know, and that that's not just Christianity. We're talking that, yes. overall spiritual religious practices. To others, the question may be irrelevant. They may say, well, I am an atheist, right? I don't, I don't believe in any of this stuff, uh, so... It doesn't matter to me if money is considered a religion, but the three of us think this is a pretty interesting, dare we say, fascinating question, and we've been going back and forth on it for some time now. So first things first, let's let's define money. What do we mean when we say something is money? What is what's money? I mean, it's like a thing that represents another thing that that, that says I'm I have the power to this much power. Nuggets. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, let me read off the outline. It says here, it's a measure of value, a means of payment, a current medium of exchange in the form of coins and banknotes, 
known as currency. Okay, this one, this is better. We should go with this. I don't know. Show. I like the opening because I, I'm kind of into this power nuggets idea. Well, power nuggets. I mean, I, I just feel like money in general. That that if you if when thought about it in a certain way, the question mm-hmm. "What is money?" Mm-hmm. can be pretty an existential, mm-hmm. you know, head scratcher. For sure. But we'll get to that. We'll get to that in due <laughs> yeah, time. We'll get to we'll get to we'll get weird with it in a little yeah. bit. Uh, so one way we could explain this concept, uh, this measure of value is uh, I've got a beautiful and oversimplified way to explore it. So let's think of money maybe as, well, people say money is debt, right? Essentially it is, but let's think of money as a representation of effort over time. And we can practice this equation in a hypothetical day-to-day life. For example, let's say let's say one of us has a, has a job where you make $60 an hour. Uh, I'll take it. Pretty sweet gig, right? Sure. Yeah? Our, our producer, uh, our producer is also nodding. I think mm-hmm. Alex is in. Yeah. Uh, so 60 bucks an hour, pretty sweet gig. Uh, just to fill out this hypothesis or this daydream. Uh, so what does somebody do where they would make 60 bucks an hour? Sailor. That okay. sounds pretty good. Okay. A sailor. So, uh, this means that if, if, uh, Noel, since this is your idea, we'll, we'll have you as the example. So Noel is a sailor, uh, and he makes $60 an hour. This means each dollar Noel possesses represents one minute of labor. Now let's say Noel goes and buys something for $5. You okay. Know, like the latest issue of, uh, Mad Magazine or a really sweet visor. Is that, is Mad Magazine only $5? Uh, I, th- I think it's actually less. I'm not sure. I need to start picking that up again. Well, if you if you are Noel the sailor and you pay five dollars for this, you are literally spending five minutes. I mean, only a sailor would read that trash. <laughs> are you serious? Jeez! <laughs> Bite thy tongue! <laughs> no, isn't that you know curse like a sailor? Aren't sailors uh, kind of raunchy? You know? That's yeah. Not, okay. No okay. offense to any sailors out there. That was a very anachronistic uh, conception of the sailor's life. It's too late. I'm sure, you're all lovely people. It makes you wonder though why we say you know, like this comparison is wildly oversimplified, but it makes you wonder why we say things like spend time or, or pay attention, you mm-hmm. know? And the three of us have often talked about this, like, off-air, too, uh, when we're hanging out, about what the most important currency of our age is. And for us as podcasters and producers, the most important currency is really time. Sure. You know? Uh, but most of us remember the age of purely physical currency, Right. We're, uh, most, most of us listening are old enough to remember that there was a time before digital currency. Yeah. My parents would only bring out the, the credit card if we were going to make some huge purchase, like a refrigerator or something that we had to like fix in the house. Mm-hmm. Otherwise it was cash. Or if you needed to buy more mattresses to keep your money in mm-hmm. because the other ones you feel you ran out of space. So yeah. that happened. Yeah. For you, for you. Your family did that. Yeah. Oh, sure, yeah. <laughs> We're sorry you had to find out about it this way. I had way. no idea. Didn't you ever wonder why they had so many mattresses? I thought we just were like to be really comfy. Yeah. I guess in both physically and, uh, you know, the other way. Financially? <laughs> Financially, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was guessing. So our ancestors may not have been familiar with the concept of banknotes, but paper money is only one late stage of the same concept. 
in the past, people used all sorts of stuff to represent power nuggets. Yeah, well, that's, value. that's exactly like shells or, mm-hmm. you know, shiny stones or, I mean, these are, I'm just kind of making these up. I know but shells are, were a thing. Those are both true. Yeah. Yep. Give me some more. Oh, uh, peppercorns. For that's a brief so, time. Whoa. See, I could see that because that's sort of a, a useful item. You know, uh-huh. you can, that's one seasoning nugget, you know, yeah, as well. Yeah. It's not only a, a thing for, you know, to represent work, it's also you can use it for something. Just, yeah, like gold, which is such a ductile metal, you can take it and shape it mm-hmm. into something, mm-hmm. you know, uh, which you can't. I mean, I guess you can practice origami on a, on a dollar bill. In much of the West now, currency is in a state of transition from a physical to an increasingly digital medium, right? Yeah. This is not even bringing in bitcoins yet. Mm. This is just saying that someone could be a millionaire and literally never see the cash, never have the, what do they, what do they used to call it, cash on hand? Yeah, the petty cash, cash on hand, all that stuff. Uh, your, what do they call it, your liquid, all that liquid cash. You know, it's it's so weird because... Working a job like this, uh, back in the day, I used to get a check and I was all excited on payday because I'd get a check and go turn it in. And for years and years now, I don't see any of that unless I check my account. You know, it's like it doesn't even exist. There's a picture of a check on there for you if mm-hmm. you if you so desire. Yes, if you wanted to, yes. you could you could print them all out and put them in a little <laughs> scrapbook. If yeah. That's your thing, <laughs> a checkbook. But it it really is strange to think of it as just so in the ether. And yet we still use a lot of the same technology that, you know, we used when checks were more prevalent, like routing numbers, Mm -hmm. the way banks communicate with each other. If you ask me, it's pretty antiquated. Yeah. Ben and I had a fun little mix up where I accidentally deposited his check into my account because they were identical checks for a thing we did. And he uh, had my check and I had his and I was able to deposit it. I used the mobile deposit thing and it went through. And then I was able to deposit my check too. And there's this whole conundrum of like, well, who, which bank do we call? How do we figure out how to get this money back? I know I'm derailing the conversation a little bit here, but it made me mad. It took forever. And we only just now got it sorted out barely. Come yeah. on, banks, get more digital. Well, it I don't, was, I'm afraid of that. Actually, don't do that, banks, please. <laughs> it's too late. Uh, it's too late because it seems like it is an increasingly digital medium. Which is weird because if we look at currency that used to be or money that used to be based on a tangible commodity. The gold that sits in the bank somewhere. Right. Silver. Yeah, you can take this ingot and you can keep it for yourself or you can carve it into something or you can trade it Mm -hmm. or you can take these peppercorns and you can pay somebody else with it or or salt was also used. Uh, Mark Kolansky has a great book called Salt where he... Create the the least creative thing about the book is the name, but it it, but looks, it fits. It looks at the history of salt and how Roman soldiers were paid in salt, which is where we get the phrase "cough it up" to pay yeah. for something, um, or "worth his salt," which I don't know if people still say that. I haven't heard it in a while, but I guarantee you it exists. So, what happens with paper money? What does what does paper money represent? This is what's known as fiat currency, which rather than being, like Ben said, being backed by some physical tangible thing, it's backed by just the guarantee of the person or entity that issued it. Okay. That's all it means. Just, I guarantee that this is worth something. Okay. Now, you know, after. So it's like a promise. Yeah. A promissory note. It's literally an IOU. Yes. A promissory note. You're right. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a great way to put it. It's a promise. Sometimes I've heard it derogatorily referred to as a coupon. Mm-hmm. I do have to recuse myself here because again, I do believe in Ben Bucks as a viable currency. 
Uh, and I believe that we should all consider starting our own alternative currencies. You know, yeah, sure. Like I would, I would buy. You guys would look great on money. You're also a ravenous couponer. I'm also okay. a ravenous couponer. <laughs> That's true. That's true. So this, uh, this fiat currency, this idea of issuing it in this way and having mm-hmm. money that's backed this way, it causes a lot of problems, or it has at least the potential for a lot of problems, mm-hmm. uh, depending on the reliability of the issuer. Right, yeah, and critics argue that this paves the way for massive inflation, along with cover-ups and conspiracies, not to derail us too much, but uh, Matt, Noel, and I have been working on a couple of different projects that may or may not come to fruition, and it had us exploring uh, different assassination theories, briefly, Mm. as a symptom of this, or as a side effect. Sure. Okay, as a side benefit. Uh in the U.S., one of the most popular conspiracies concerning the assassination of JFK hinges on fiat currency. There's an author named Jim Mars, and in his book Crossfire, he argues that Kennedy was trying to uh, rein in the Federal Reserve, which is the issuing quasi-governmental entity here in the U.S., the, the one that issues the currency. And uh, Mars says that forces opposed to Kennedy reigning in the Fed, uh, they may have played some part in the assassination. Specifically, he alleges that Kennedy issued a thing called Executive Order 11110. Four ones and a zero. Mm-hmm. Two elevens and a zero. That's the best <laughs> I can do in an audio show. Uh, that he issued this executive order to transfer power from the Fed to the Department of the Treasury. The way it used to be. Mm-hmm, replacing these Federal Reserve notes with silver certificates, the kind that uh, say uh, payable to the bearer on demand. Yes, right? in silver. In silver. Uh, that's That's a hugely popular theory. However, just to be fair, critics note that Kennedy was phasing out silver certificates in favor of Fed reserve notes, but this executive order was just a technicality that was only meant to be a temporary measure. Anyway, other people are saying, no, they he tried to take control from the central bankers and they popped him. Well, yeah, and as we know, there are a lot of conflicts between private central banks throughout the world and mm. governments to which those banks are issuing money. It's a yeah. it's a thing. And it's a thing, but for right now, uh, in this current age in which we record this, globally speaking, fiat currency rules the roost. There are other kinds of money. There's representative money, silver, gold certificates, like we talked about, redeemable for some amount of metal. And then there's commodity money, which, which, uh, Noel, you you were bringing up here. Uh, Some older U.S. coins are actually commodity money, you know, like silver dollars made from silver. You want some silver, you can you got a dollar's worth. You just yeah. melt it down. That gets weird because then the price of silver changes and then that one dollar is worth a lot more. That or is less, true. Right? Or less, yeah. Like the old uh do you guys remember the old debate about pennies? Oh they yeah. They like cost more to manufacture than they were actually worth. Yeah, yeah. And I believe it, right in and let us know, I believe Canada abolished the penny. The US gets close to it. Our pennies are actually made of zinc, and when zinc prices went up, it costs like more than a penny to make a penny. I only ever use pennies when I'm cashing in my jar of coins, mm-hmm. and like the the coin star at the grocery store. I've, I never spend pennies, you know. Mm-hmm. You know what's weird is nowadays I don't even see people pick pennies up off the street. It's like going to the doctor Sad. for whatever I get 
from touching this penny is going to be more expensive than picking up the penny. But that's okay. So that's that's currency. That's sure. our current understanding of currency. Oh boy, is it time to get into religion? <sighs> yeah. Disclaimer: uh, No, Matt, our producer Alex and I are never going to tell you what you should believe. Alex might. He's kind of pushy. I was going to say. <laughs> yeah. You guys, yeah. You guys had to bring Alex into it right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the show, Alex. <laughs> All right. Okay. Uh, Matt, no. What? What's religion? No. Well, it's so it's basically like power nuggets that you <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's power nuggets. Mm-hmm. It's, how, how are you gonna ask a man what's religion? It's, it's, I, I, you just read it off the thing again. All right, I'll, I'll read it off the thing again. Style so, on it though. Okay, all right, here we go. Okay, so apparently, according to this here, religion at its most basic form, it's uh, I'll, I'll you know. Freestyle it a little bit. It's, it's it's a personal set of beliefs or an institutionalized system of beliefs or spiritual attitudes uh, and everything that goes along with that. Be it ritual, um, be it the way you exercise your faith mm-hmm. um, in a day to day way. A lot of times there are religious texts involved that are specific to individual religions. I think everyone pretty much gets. The gist of that, um, a belief in and worship of a superhuman controlling power, a deity, most notably some sort of singular God or a group of gods, as yep. with some of the world's most prevalent mm-hmm. religions. Uh, so across time and history, humans have practiced numerous religions, countless religions even. I'm sure if you guys have watched the show American Gods, mm-hmm. right? yeah. which we love, yeah. um, it's all about the idea that things only, the gods only exist as long as we believe in them. And throughout time and history, likely there are many that, mm-hmm. that just don't exist anymore because no one talks about them. They get lost in the oral tradition. And no religion has ever entirely conquered humanity. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's always been um, debate as to which one is the one. You know, you talk to certain people, they'll tell you they got it all figured out. And then you talk to others and it's like, no, 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 no. We, no, 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 no. We're the one. It's us. Mm-hmm. It's, definitely, mm-hmm. it's definitely us, which has always been the thing that is interesting to me about this uh, pursuit. It's yeah, just this sure. idea of being so convinced that you have the right answer because I try to live my life relatively open-mindedly and know that I have more to learn. So it, it feels a little self-defeating to me to just say unequivocally, this is it. This, this is, is all there will ever be. This is yeah. all there will ever be. This is the thing. But there's a lot of comfort in that. I know. Thought, right? And again, we're not trying to tell you what to do. This is just me yeah. throwing it out there, how it hits me. I grew up in the church, as did Matt. Um, so we've definitely been through a lot of that stuff personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Well, there's never been a single universal agreement as to which mm-hmm. deity rules the roost. You have to remember that these religions have millions of adherents all across the mm-hmm. world and throughout humanity. Uh, religion, at its heart, it's an attempt to explain things, to explain sure. our situation, what finds us here in this existence on this planet, mm-hmm. why do certain natural processes exist the way they are, why do people die? Where do we go yes. when we die? Mm-hmm. These are important questions to us as humans that are curious, but also maybe a little scared. And they're comforting, like you were saying, Matt, of their ways to kind of, you know, explain away some of our fears and put our faith in a thing that will help us guide our behavior, hopefully in a positive way. I appreciate that aspect of religion very much. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, and to do this, religion often reaches beyond the bounds of the observable world, you know? So there are the the big questions, just like you said, existential questions. Where Where do we come from? Where are we going? What are we supposed to do on the yeah. way? And this, uh, one of the crucial parts of this, uh, of this concept is asking the believers of a religion to have faith that the explanation they are receiving is true. In many religions, this concept is crucial. Somebody has to agree to follow a religion after inner contemplation, a deeply private period of soul searching to arrive at an inner truth that they have discovered, right? Yes. So this is not necessarily a thing where someone says, here is undeniable proof. They'll say, this is undeniable proof to me. This is an inner realization I have had, and I want to share it with you or force you, historically, yeah. force you to do, to, to at least pay lip service to this um, because it is true. And to be fair, religious systems approach this in wildly different ways. You know, there's... Yep. There's like in the ancient days, there would be the um, a rite of passage, right? Go to the woods and return an adult or an accepted member of this tribe, uh, or it's a um, it's another like a, a baptism, for yeah. instance, is another example. Emerge from the water, new. Mm-hmm. And in some belief systems, in the modern day, not all human beings are allowed to participate. One must be born a member of the religious community. There's no way to convert. Uh, I think most of them do have a way to excommunicate someone, but, you know, there's only an exit door. There's no entryway. So I think the big thing with religious organizations that we kind of covered right there is that there are a ton of different ways to practice all of this and a ton of different beliefs that it could exist amongst one of these organizations, but the big commonalities still exist there. It's a system that's set up for a belief. I think the thing that's interesting, too, to take from when we're looking at the past history of religion is that it usually was very helpful in organizing a group of like-minded people in a way that would help them survive. And Ah. I mean, and honestly, it still serves that function today, only it's more about how do we figure out how to make money. It's almost like a club. It's like, how do we, Mm -hmm. who are the people, the like-minded people that we're going to hang out with that kind of like create these communities like-minded individuals mm-hmm. that are in the same kind of social strata and give, it's almost like, uh, like, uh, those secret societies and groups where you kind of like can meet and network with people through, you know, your, your church groups and stuff. I'm sure. Just, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a, I think that's an excellent point, you know, because the quick and the quick and dirty, I'm sorry. I know you guys have both heard me have a few drinks and rant about this way too often, but you know, if we look at the rough evolution of society, we start with like the individual and then the family group just surviving, right? And then the uh, the assembly of a tribe, which is almost always hand in hand with the creation or the discovery rather of a religious belief that just like Noel said, we're, we're like-minded, we're out here fighting for survival against, you know, mammoths and other ape and like apex predators mm-hmm. that are better than people 
at hunting. Uh, but why are we doing this? And now it's, it's a similar thing, but maybe the, the game has changed. Right? It's a little more social. I mean, we obviously mm-hmm. don't have to depend on each other to protect ourselves from poisonous plants that could kill us or, you know, have religious rituals that sort of teach us life lessons about which berries not to eat or right, this, that, right. and the other. You know, everything now, it's a little more about creating these social constructs, which revolve largely around, you know, economic systems. It's a yeah. global supply chain. No. Pre- predatory loans. Medical debt, which is huge in the U.S., right? Uh, that's that's a very powerful and dangerous comparison. I like it. Well, let's let's think about that. We've got these similarities. What what makes financial organizations different? How do they differ to religious organizations? Well, let's. You ready for this, you guys? I'm pulling this directly out of Investopedia, so prepare your ears. <laughs> All right, <laughs> here it comes. Do I detect some potential jargon? It's no, it's not jargon. It's just when you speak about money, a lot of times there are so many words and things that feel like they don't have to be there, but we're, we're going to get into it. Right, out, out with it. Out with it. <clears throat> a financial institution is a company engaged in the business of dealing with monetary transactions such as deposits, deposits loans, loans, investments. And currency exchange. exchange. Financial institutions encompass a broad range of business operations within the financial services sector, including banks, banks, trust companies, insurance companies, sharks, and brokerage firms or investment dealers. Oh! Virtually everyone living in a developed economy has an ongoing or at least periodic need for the services of financial institutions. I don't know why I said sharks earlier. <laughs> But did you did you hear that at the end there? Mm-hmm. Virtually everyone in any developed economy has some kind of ongoing or at least periodic need of a financial institution. Interesting. And we hype man that a little bit because it is true that people can, you know, you, you, you your ears and your eyes can kind of glaze over sure. when it goes to that. Um, I hate when my ears <clears throat> glaze over. Ugh. Yeah. Well, no one at the office wants to tell you because it's weird, but that's that's an important point. So financial institutions are in every part of our lives. I think we've defined religious organizations pretty well at this mm-hmm. point. And, you know, our, our earlier definition may have seemed a little bit vague, but it's because we're we're trying to be as general as possible to address the entire practice, right? Yeah. And we have to make sure we look at these statistics when we talk about religious organizations. You can watch uh, many news channels uh, here. I believe Fox Network would be one of the one of the the most prominent examples of this. But every year there's the War on Christmas sure. story, right? Or Easter, or Easter, or Oster, <laughs> or Oster. Yes, uh, the that is. I think a, a great example of what is seen as the rise of secularism or the decline in uh, active practitioners of religion. So right right now, some of the like some of the best statistics indicate that eleven percent of Americans born after nineteen seventy were raised in secular homes. Wow. So we're raised not not practicing religion. And here in the southeastern United States, uh, there are a lot of people that pastors refer to as the, um, what's it, Chris, Easter Christmas? The Christmas Easter Christians? Yeah, I don't know. There's There are terms for it. I can't get it off the top of my head, though. Well, it's a, it's a term for some family or some group of people or 
people who show up twice a year. It's basically like fair weather Christians. Yeah, there we go. I like that. Yeah. And this, so this rise of secularism is seen as a threat, not just here in the U.S., not just with Christianity, but with multiple religions, right, all over the world. It leads us back to that at times antagonistic relationship between money, power, and spirituality. There's a great quotation from an author named Philip Goodchild that sort of compares and contrasts the um, the difference between money and religion. And he refers to, just a note here, he refers to religion just by the phrase God. Okay. So here's a quote. It is easy to observe how such an activity naturally leads to secularization and a direct opposition between God and money. Where God promises eternity, money promises the world. Where God offers a delayed reward, money offers a reward in advance. Where God offers himself as grace, money offers itself as a loan. Where God offers spiritual benefits, money offers tangible benefits. Where God accepts all repentant sinners who truly believe, money may be accepted by all who are willing to trust in its value. Where God requires conversion of the soul, money empowers the existing desires and plans of the soul. Money has the advantages of immediacy, universality, tangibility, and utility. Mm. So money has a one-up there, at least uh, according to Goodchild. Well, but but I feel like those things only hold true if you believe in the religion that he's talking about, kind of. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay. Because it could. Yeah, it is true. And uh, Goodchild does have a background coming from a, a religious standpoint. I guess what I'm saying is, I feel <clears throat> like you know, God does not offer you ultimate absolution if you don't fully accept and, and believe everything about him, you know? Mm-hmm. It's not unquestioning. You have to you have to contribute something to that equation as well. Mm. That's a that's a good point. And Goodchild is a philosopher of religion by training. So I thought it was interesting for him to pose that. Oh no, that's sure, a great sure. quote. I'm not trying to to sure. um Discounted. I mean, I think it's very well put, but I just think it's it's actually it's missing something. It does a good job of showing how similar the two things That's are. That's the thing. Yeah. Is it possible that these two concepts have much more in common than we think? We'll find out after a quick word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. 
With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hormozzi, Layla Hormozzi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Here's where it gets crazy. So what if, instead of living in a world that's turning away from traditional religions the way it feels like it is, we live in a world that's actually embracing new ones? What if money or this new global economy in which we exist, what if the economy itself is a religion? I'm going right back to the episode that I just watched last night of of American Gods, and it's Mm -hmm. weirding me out. Oh Just yeah, thinking about it. Was that the season finale? Now, for the record, this is—it's not okay to spoil that. I, I am not spoiling it. It's just—it <laughs> deals directly with some of this. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we'll return to Philip Goodchild here for another quotation. Where European philosophers have often sought some decisive term that gives shape to the ways we think and act, such as being, truth. Difference, the sublime, the void, time, or even God, it seems to me that money actually plays the decisive role in our society. For money is at once an object that can be handled, an institution which is the basis of all our cooperation, and a structure of thinking. We unwittingly have made a theology of money. Whoa. And then he goes on to say, the finitude of currency has been overcome by treating signs of monetary value as themselves valuable 
I got you. Okay. Ensuring the value of newly created money by issuing it in the form of loans attached to debts, uh, rates of production and rates of interest escape finitude by compound growth. Um, production for the sake of profit replaces production for the sake of use. Let's unpack Ooh, that. Yeah. One, so, okay. So that's pretty, that's pretty interesting because when we had commodity currency, commodity money, right? We, if, if stuff that was useful, right? If Noel and I are gambling and our currency happens to be peppercorns, then there's no debating that those peppercorns have a value. So, what, what about golden shovels? Okay, yeah, golden shovels. Because if you don't want a shovel, you can make it into something else. Uh, so, this this is a really this is a really good point. Uh, that in that in in something that is directly a resource. There is a limit on how how much that resource how much of that resource exists in that form, and we know that if there's too much of it, then the currency loses its value. If everyone has pepper, you can't pay with pepper, right? right. Uh, but you can overcome that by treating the sign of value as just as important as the actual thing. So now instead of let's say Matt strikes it big in the uh, competitive Polka circuit. Oh, you better believe it. <laughs> okay. I am on my way up those ranks. The competitive underground polka circuit. And he gets. He strikes a dashing figure <clears throat> in later hosen, too. I'll mm -hmm. tell you that's that right true. now. That's this. true. I, you know, I didn't think you would know it by looking at me. Took, uh, took a old uh, glance in the mirror there. Uh huh. Gotta say, these kids got it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will see you later. Hosen. Later, Hosen, yep. Oh, gosh. Uh, but the point is, you know, uh, now he doesn't, if he's paid in gold, uh, he would have to carry around all that gold or find a place to put it. But now he is able to take a coupon that represents it, right, printed on historically uh, a, a linen. So something that's maybe difficult to reproduce but not intrinsically valuable on its own. So now we have a symbol that says this, right? So now Noel as a peppercorn billionaire has has multiple checks or pieces of linen that say, you know, 100,000 peppercorns uh, or uh, power nuggets. I like power nuggets <laughs> better, I think. Power nuggets is like my new jam for this. Um, so this means that now you can just start creating those symbols. You can, you don't really need to have a billion peppercorns to make new peppercorn notes. But that opens up a whole another bag of rabid greedy badgers doesn't <laughs> it does it? <laughs> yes sir yes sir because we also know that expanding production right the constant you know people have often said opponents of capitalism have often said it's just a leviathan that consumes everything in its path and that it depends on continual growth which after a certain point is impossible yeah, and you're making way too much to continue to be profitable. But if it's continuing, if it's if we're just creating symbols that represent, you know, debt or effort over time or fictitious peppercorns or ringgits of gold or I think uh, Holland had a problem with tulip bulbs once upon mm -hmm. a time, then there's, you know, it's Katie bar the door. The sky's the limit. Uh and we start going to a state where we are just producing things, not to use them, but to simply have more symbols 
representing their existence. And then betting on the number of symbols and where the symbols exist and how they're going to change to make more symbols. Mm -hmm. When you start getting into futures and derivatives and all the things that are just creating more of these symbols based on what the other symbols are doing, you're not actually creating anything. It gets into weird territory. It does. It quickly gets into a, a very abstract territory. So it's true that currently, let's bracket that for a second. It's true that currently there are no churches where people bow in front of like a big dollar sign or something, right? I, I haven't seen one. Okay. Have you seen one? No, but I'm picturing it in my mind right yeah. now. Yeah, and uh, I'm picturing like maybe some robes that also have dollar signs. Just dollar, yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's, I mean, let's build it. Uh, but it does seem that money and religion have increasingly similar characteristics. So what are some of the things they have in common? Well, they have symbols in common. Right? Yeah. And then... Uh, they, symbols are very important. Yeah. For both of these, right? I mean, yeah. we were just talking about that. The If the dollar didn't have the symbol, the exact symbol on it, and the exact, you know, perfect way, and even the serial numbers on it, it wouldn't mean anything. Oh, it's counterfeit, and that's a crime. Yeah, and then if you look at, uh, let's say, just a crucifix or okay. something, if it's not made in the correct way, you know, there it's debatable on, on whether it is true or not, or any other symbols from any other religion. If a, a Quran is written just slightly incorrectly, mm -hmm. then it is, you know, invalid. What about stock symbols, you guys? Yeah. I mean, think about that. Like the stock market, to me, seems like the closest thing to a god as like this system we're talking about Ooh. would have. Because it's, what is it? It's kind of like a volatile, unknowable thing that you can kind of predict. Uh -huh. But it, it, it's not, it, it's, it got no, it's got no time for your, you know, and you can your pay, plans. You can pay mm -hmm. obeisance to it. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It, has, it literally has its own temple on uh -huh. Wall Street. Where people just hang out there all day, kind of looking up at it. Yeah, and they're, mm -hmm. real they're serving world, it. They're real world effects too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but then sometimes it just like just takes a dump in the bed, and it's just like, okay, mm -hmm. it's over. <laughs> I will rain my vengeance upon the uh, yeah, because you know we think about think about uh, during the Great Depression, right? Stock market crashes, commodities are in flux, and people are starving in cities. Right. And in the same country, not two or three states away, farmers are pouring milk in creeks and uh, slaughtering pigs because the prices are too low for them to sell. So it's better that they raise the market themselves. And then you get into the butterfly situation. Was it the actions of the many people that caused these things to happen to the other people or was it the God? Yeah, they was did it? Was it's it like, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like, yeah. you know, did God wipe out Sodom and Gomorrah because they were doing horrible stuff, or was was it in the other way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's that's a really good question because this all starts to go into belief and faith. One thing that can startle a lot of people when we hear pundits in the West talk about, and I mean the ideological West, mm -hmm. uh, when we hear pundits in the West talk about stock markets, you often hear the weird phrase, investor confidence. Yeah. Wh what? Investor confidence. Because I believe in this, I will buy some, uh, I will buy some shares of it. Because or if I, I don't, yeah. I'm going to sell it. So it becomes a an indicator of how many people believe in something at a given time, that is pretty spooky. 
yeah, when you think about it. Yeah, very metaphysical. Yeah, and, and Noel and I uh, know have a friend who is pretty good at uh, divining some of these pathways and predicting some of these trends. But even he will tell us, um, even he will tell us that sometimes you just don't know what's going to happen. Exactly. I mean, you know, you can get it right some of the time and follow a trend to its conclusion, but then, you know, or to what what you perceive as its conclusion, mm-hmm. as far as you're willing to take it. But sometimes playing that short game and really trying to like put one over on the market doesn't really work like that. You know, it's right. like it's, it's, it's a lot of it is up to chance and people kind of like have these self-fulfilling prophecies or these like confirmation biases that convince them that their actions are actually having an effect on the system that they really it totally runs itself. That's such a great point. It makes me think of on a microcosmic level for anyone in the audience with kids, when you take your kid to the grocery store and you get one of those specially for kids grocery carts mm-hmm. with the little wheel that they could feel like they're steering. They yeah. have no control. Dude. <laughs> yeah. So true. Uh, but, but so we're, we're seeing a lot of this is based on faith, right? Yes. And of course we know that, of course we know that there are tangible assets at play, right? Yes. So like Dow chemical makes chemicals. They make a real thing that people, uh, use. And the U S without getting too far into it, the U S currency, which is what most of us are the most familiar with on, on this show, uh, U S currency is commonly called a petrodollar because of a deal that Nixon cracked back in the day where uh, OPEC, uh, most of the OPEC mm-hmm. nations agreed, including Saudi Arabia, to only sell petroleum in dollars. Yeah, we're only trading in these dollar bills, y'all. That's what he said. That sounds like he a spot-on Nixon, Nixon impression. Uh, so we, we know, though, that no matter how we want to tie these to tangible assets— in some degree, call it what you will, confidence, faith, belief, it plays a crucial part in today's financial market. And we've seen, uh, just like religiously motivated wars or massacres in the yesteryears of civilization, we've seen economic ideology have the same disastrous effects. You know, like the, the World Bank and the IMF have made some huge missteps. Right. And we've seen these um, we've seen these ideas applied as though they're going to work just because a, a group of economists in a think tank believe mm. that that's how the world should work. That's where you're really getting into the faith stuff with the economists. <laughs> I, did you guys ever take any um, big economy classes in college? You mean like macroeconomics? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That stuff is. Fascinating, because it really does feel as though nobody really knows exactly what's going on, and you can't really control it that much. You can just control it mostly at the micro level and then hope that stuff works out. Well, all the different schools of thought seem to vary pretty widely, too. Yeah. Like the different, it almost is more of a philosophy than an exact science. That's exactly it's what it's almost felt like. It's almost like a, like a money priest, you know, <laughs> saying like, this is, this is definitely the way. Yeah, you know what I mean. Weird stuff. I like that money priest. So, so <laughs> yeah, money priest is. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and, and like different administrations have different pet um, economists, sure, you mm-hmm. know. And so, but when you when you compare them, they're like couldn't be more different, you know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I got you. So, 
we have this faith. How does an individual human being uh, practice that faith? What kind of worship do we do for money? I don't know. Well, we we, talk, <laughs> we talked about mammon, the quote from Luke, uh, uh-huh. out of here. So let's get into just comparing some of these rites and rituals that you would do. So my my experience comes from uh, mostly the Methodist church uh, okay. here in the United States, mm-hmm. where when you are going to take communion, let's just give that as, a, as an example. Okay. You drink a little bit of, in my case, grape juice, supposed to be consecrated wine that's been you know blessed by uh-huh. a priest. And what this ritual is supposed to do is get you close to, in this case, Jesus or a deity and bring, right. you know, bring some aspect of that into you personally. Right. Quest, question. Yes. Question from the audience. Hey, uh, yes. Bimble and stuff. Then what you know, big Hi. fan. Uh, yeah, just, uh, just to get this straight. So in the Methodist, in the Catholic church, they practice transubstantiation, right? So Where you're actually when it's blessed and it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. Yes. But, in the Methodist Church, is that is that also a belief, or is it more like a symbol representative thing? Uh, from my ten year old understanding, it was very symbolic because if it wasn't, I would definitely be weirded out. Okay, a lot more than I, I probably already was. Okay, so there's like communion. Then that would be a ritual. So there are all these rites and rituals that a single person does uh, when they are of a faith, a certain religion. They do to either humble themselves in, you know, the light of whatever mm-hmm. a God or gods they worship or just to get them closer in some way to that deity or to perfection, whatever that sort is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was imagining popular culture uh, and the way that we seem to worship money right now with celebrity and with uh, wealth and the way that is played up as the ideal a lot of times, at least in Western culture, the big W. And I was imagining Master P's uh, toilet, Master, Master P? Mm-hmm. Master P? I don't, I don't know. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, it's Master P. just never sounded whiter. I just, <laughs> I just remember his toilet. Master P? Is Master it, P? Is it Dr. Dre? Uh, but yes, so oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of Doctor Drew. <laughs> so I'm just I'm imagining that toilet seat and that whole golden toilet, yeah, as this weird, just worship of wealth, worship of money as an object, Dude. and it creating a golden god of sorts. Uh, do you, do, are, are we forgetting about the golden calf, the idol? Yes, mm. no, precisely. The, I mean, like that—that that is exactly what that was all about. That was about worshiping wealth. And, you know, um, pretension and, and just like just gross displays of mm-hmm. decadence kind of, you know, what well, was that, what story was that in? Uh, yeah, I believe that was in Exodus. Uh, when the people saw that Moses was so long and coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Cub, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. And Aaron's, I'm going to paraphrase a little, said, Take off the gold earrings that your wife, son's daughters are wearing. They brought them to him. He, uh, okay. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then he said, these are your gods. Whoa. These are your gods now. So, you know, golden calf idol, Master P toilet, 
There's a correlation there. There is. And I'm somewhere. saying, dude, the show's called American Idol. Let's not forget about that. We, oh, yeah. we talk yeah. about these people. Dude. We worship these people, mm. and they worship wealth. Therefore, yeah. I'm using the royal we here. We yeah. worship wealth. There aren't a lot of poor celebrities. Well, it's also difficult to argue. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about this off here, too. It's difficult to argue that celebrities have not replaced the pantheons of old, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people are still kind of surprised when we learn that, you know, in in Greco-Roman times, there wasn't just Zeus who does this or uh, Vulcan or Hephaestus who does this. In different towns, they would have different incarnations. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Uh, Different aspects or like facets of the jewel that is this overall being. and this would mean that they have, there are a bunch, there are a bunch of different versions who specialize in different things. And, you know, if you want that specific thing, you're probably best to go to the pilgrimage to the one town where they were like, hey, we like this thing so much that there's a statue about it. And they also require probably different offerings and different rituals, depending on mm-hmm. which version of the deity and which service yeah. you seek. So speaking of Grecian temples to the gods, let's mm-hmm. talk about temples to money. Think about the Bank of America building here in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. That giant towering thing that mm-hmm. is just it represents a global banking company. Says you. The city of London. <laughs> yeah, the city of London itself. Mm-hmm. Uh I mean I'm just trying to imagine the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. A a symbol of global trade. Mm-hmm. This the tallest building in the world, and we built it because of trade and money. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So I guess that leads us to figuring out how how experts determine the value of money, right? We're building temples to it, right? Mm-hmm. And we're building institutions to uh, – institutions in some ways are kind of like denominations of a religion oh, at wow. this point. So we know that there are rites, we know there are rituals, but how – how do we actually figure out what, what this dollar thing is or what the, you know, the lira or the euro or mm-hmm. the yen or the, you know, have you have your pick? The pound. The pound. <laughs> uh, we'll tell you after a word from our sponsor. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long. For just $25. $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part time or full time. You name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series, Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halper. It's just a shame, you know, that they took him from us. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, knocking on doors, uncovering new evidence, including the DNA of a potential killer. Uh, my name is Danny Smith. I'm a detective uh, with Miramar Police Department. This is Scott Weinberger. We're actually reopening an old case, and your name came up. Untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one murder, but almost a dozen. I thought they were going to kill me, so I kept my mouth shut and I didn't say anything. All these years, I didn't say anything. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Eugene Fodor! Gene, we'll boot it! Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with. So you write the books, Gene, and Vlastar on the business. I understand now. He's a wise man who marries a wiser woman. But be careful and choose your travel partner well, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. Get down! I'm not stupid, Gene. Something is going on, and it's high time you tell me the truth. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! So travel before it's too late. Your money will return. Your time won't. And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. We're still here. We hope you are, too. You are, right? You're, you're still there? Okay. And I left for a minute, but I'm back. Okay, good. So there are three ways. <sighs> hey, guys, sorry. We're oh. done with the ad break. I just got back. Jeez, I didn't mean to start without you, Ben. Oh, sorry. I, mean, uh, fine. I was just under the table. <laughs> All right, well, here we go. <laughs> so there are three ways that we measure the value of, let's say, the dollar in particular. Okay, um, all right, yeah, yeah. The first is how much the dollar is going to buy in other foreign currencies, stuff mm-hmm. that's not the dollar. Uh, that's what the uh, exchange rate measures. You'll hear people talk about that a lot. Uh, forex traders in the foreign exchange market determine these exchange rates. These are the guys who decide what it is worth. They're sort of like the guy that weighs your soul in the afterlife. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, uh, so they take into account uh, supply and demand, like how many people, not just, not, like, okay, not just how many dollars does Matt have and how many yen does that equal, but how many other people are looking to convert dollars to yen versus converting yen to dollars. And what kind of trend do we see forming here that we can speculate for a year, 10 years in the future. Yeah, and this is the reason why uh, in this in in one day your the money that you have can fluctuate. Mm-hmm. Usually not wildly, but sometimes there's Every hyperinflation. Once in a while. Yeah, like in uh 
Like in the past with Germany, when it was experiencing hyperinflation and people had wheelbarrows full of uh, money that they had to get rid of that day, you know? Yeah. So what's the, what's the second way? Well, the second method is the value of treasury notes, the T-note. You know, we always hear uh, Kai Rizdahl saying, mm-hmm. <laughs> the value on the 10-year T-note. Yep. <laughs> well, I'm about to tell you what that thing is. The T-note, <laughs> uh, they can be converted easily into dollars uh, through the secondary market for treasuries when the demand for treasuries is high. The value of the U.S. dollar rises. Yeah, a treasury note or T-note as uh Nolan Kyrisdahl or want to say. Does everybody get Kyrisdahl? Is he like, uh, does he go to all of the United States or is he just I think he's syndicated. he's in California. Okay. Marketplace, Uh, dog. Come on. Get with the NPR program. Marketplace is an NPR show. Get with the NPR programming. (laughs) Which is, uh, which is, um, for anybody who says, oh, NPR is, uh, too politically one way or the other for me, uh, Marketplace doesn't really touch that. No, no, it's just a nice, entertaining look at international finance. Um, With a guy who's kind of snarky sometimes. Dude, every time he goes, that's today on Marketplace. (laughs) But first, let's do the numbers. Yes. Yeah. Uh, So a treasury note or (laughs) T-note is a government debt security, and it has a fixed interest rate. And you can get it back after between one to 10 years. So they're always available uh, from the government. And you they're really popular investments because they are pretty secure. They're pretty reliable. Is this like know? a bond like my grandpa gave me when I was a little little boy and then I cashed it in for a lot more money than it was worth when he bought it? Uh, yeah, sort of, because the the real difference is the time you have to wait before you collect your money before you get your money back. So treasury bills have maturities of a year or less. Treasury notes go between two to 10 years. Uh Treasury bonds are long-term and they have maturities of 10 to 30 years. Yeah, that's the one. You talking about you got one of these from your grandpapa? Yeah, but it was only like 10 bucks or something, but it was worth, it was worth, I forget exactly how much, but it was, I was surprised. Mm -hmm. I was like, man, why don't we put all our money in these things? You have to wait a while. (laughs) It's true. Well, about 98% of approximately $5 trillion in outstanding debt is not made up of savings bonds, but of marketable or tradable securities called bills, notes, and bonds. Mm. And this is kind of a, a vote of confidence in the U.S. government, right? Uh, and when the demand, when a lot of people are saying, ooh, I got a hot ticket on some T-notes. Yeah. Uh, just as Noel said, when when more people want those things, the value of the U.S. dollar overall rises. Gotcha. And and other countries buy these too. It's not just you know, uh, Jane and Joe Americana. Mm-hmm. It's just a name I made up. Anyway, there's another way to do this. Right. The third way is through foreign exchange reserves. That is the amount of dollars held by foreign governments. Um, the more they hold, the lower the supply. That makes sense. And that makes U.S. money more valuable. So if foreign governments were to sell all their dollar and treasury holdings, the dollar would collapse. So this is like what when, when people called China a, a currency manipulator, this idea Similar. that they could somehow cause some sort of serious mm-hmm. fluctuation of our currency value by 
flooding the market or yeah, by it selling or off, yeah. Uh, yeah, like selling off all their uh, all their holdings of yeah. U.S. dollars and stuff, and saying we don't want it. But apparently, anymore. that's that's a, a myth. I mean, that's not even really a thing. Well, it's kind of a nuclear move because yeah. it would also be it would also have a dangerous effect because the U.S. is one of China's largest markets. Right. So it's kind of a um, of shooting yourself in the kneecap to spite your, you know, business Boop. partners. <laughs> I'll show you. Pow. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's a codependent relationship. Uh, so we've got this, right? These are the three methods we've outlined, which in some way or another depend on this aggregate demand of other people. What does the rest of the world want? What does the rest of the world believe? will be more effective. Mm -hmm. So what happens when this goes wrong? If money has no intrinsic value, then it can potentially be moved in a relatively arbitrary manner. No one wants to spend too much time on this in the mass media because, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, folks, it would create an emperor's new clothes situation. All it takes is for one person to go, hang on, (laughs) I think that guy's naked. Uh, And then 2007 happens. Right, right. It could literally endanger the U.S. economy for this this house of cards to fall. An example of this would, or example of when this came close, would be the what's known as the LIBOR scandal. It's a little dry, so please help me out with any like hype man stuff if you want. Cool, cool. We'll keep it to the basics. LIBOR is an acronym for what's known as the London Interbank Offered Rate. The average of interest rates estimated by each of the leading banks in London that it would be charged were it to borrow from other banks. So these banks estimate how much, you know, like uh, the, the Her Majesty's Bank of Matt would say. That's that's, that's perfect. Her Majesty's would, Bank would of say, Matt. you know, would go to the Royal Bank of Knoll and they would each say, were we to borrow funds from one another, we would assign it at the following rates. <laughs> yeah. And what it, what it turned out, surprise, surprise, the banks were falsely inflating or deflating their rates together so they could make a bigger profit or give the impression that they were better off than they were. That's about right. <laughs> Let's give it up for Noel on the sound effects. That was guys, awesome. we're, getting, we're like a morning show now. <laughs> we're, like, we're like the morning zoo. Call me the gooch. Oh, no. What was, so, the, what was the other guy? You can be gooch? Skeeter. Skeeter and the and gooch. You can be, you can be Benji. I know Benji is a terrible name. Right. I will not give me, participate. Give me, well, then give me, what's your, what's your morning zoo name? Uh, morning the douche. Zoo name. That's me. That's you from, be the uh, douche. Uh, you're the douche. I'm the gooch. I thought you were two hands. Oh, yeah. Poppy two hands. Poppy two hands. Uh, I guess I would go with, um, what, what sounds weird? What would be good for a sound cue? Uh, snake bite. Oh, really good. That's good. I like that. Snake bite. Jeez. Um, all right. Uh, How about steak knife? <laughs> How about the whole thing? Snake bite, steak knife. All right. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> what what's wrong, Gooch? You're walking away from this bit. Alex, keep keep what you will of this. No, Alex, <laughs> we're rolling. We're keeping this all. <laughs> Oh, God. <laughs> Willem's in here. All right. So point, point being, uh, if money was pinned to an existing commodity, a tangible asset, then it could not have its value moved as arbitrarily. Gotcha. Right? Yeah. As of 2015, a guy named Tom Hayes was the only person convicted in connection with this scandal. 
Uh, six other bankers in the UK were accused of it, but cleared in early 2016. These guys were literally writing emails to each other saying, Oi, they've changed that interest rate. But I'm not sure what that was. Well, that's this is a familiar thing that you might know when banks get in big trouble for manipulating something or uh, doing illegal, illegal deals with drugs or other bad mm-hmm. no-no things. There's a little bit of a slap of the wrist. That's literally how I view the banks thinking, oh, that's a no-no. I guess we shouldn't do it. It's the same way my one-year-old treats touching the dog's water bowl. It's like, oh, is it a no-no? Hand in the water bowl. Oh, is that a no-no? Hand in the water bowl. Dude, my girlfriend would eat you alive. She literally made fun of me for saying melty the other day. She's like, yeah. you, just, you talk like such a dad. I'm like, Mel- <laughs> melty. It's melty. It was a drink. It, was mel- it wasn't melted. It was, mel- it was melty. Yeah. If I, I ever said, naughty no, baby no. did a no-no, <laughs> she would punch me in the face. She would. Well, keep her away from me, all right? Jeez. Uh, she's, she's scary. Well, I think you make a good point, daddy no-no. But the whole point, the whole point of that is just to say, I'm not going to punish the heck out of my little son because he's just touching the water bowl and he's just having a good time. It's the same with these bankers. They're just trying to make that money. Well, I think it's just normalized as a cost of business, at least here in the U.S. You know, if you're doing something illegal and you make $500 million off of it just for the sake of argument and then you're fined $30 million, but you don't go to jail and you can keep doing business. That's just the tax. Yep. Uh, but, but, uh, but lest we get too derailed, uh, how is money handled in religious organizations? Uh, hey, should we go back to the Bible, you guys, for a quick verse? I'll tell you one thing. They got a different name for it. They don't call it money at all, do they? They call it tithing. Ooh, that is a whole situation that we're going to have to get into. Uh, but let's start with Matthew 21, 10 through 12. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those who were selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you making it a den of robbers. That, Jesus, is interesting. Okay, so let's get into... T- hey, we have two distinctly different flavors of Jesus. <laughs> that's true, that's true. I, different I incarnations, it. if hey, you will. Right? Different you guys got to see the latest episode. So this is showing that way back in the day, Jesus, one of the most central figures to... Well, the central figure to Christianity, but one of the most uh, central figures to uh, any religion mm-hmm. that has ever existed in the history is they're going into the houses of worship in a very big place in in Jerusalem and throwing, literally throwing out the people who are dealing with money. He's flipping tables left and right, mm-hmm. poking out on the money changers. Even the dove, the people just trying to make a little scratch on doves. The money changers or the, the ancient loan sharks might be practicing usury, which is yes. a huge, huge problem. Uh, also, yeah, as Matt said, Jesus is a central figure in Abrahamic religions. Mm-hmm. He's a very prominent prophet in two. I b- actually believe Jesus as a prophet is quoted more in the Quran than he is in the Christian Bible. Fun facts, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it leads us to a situation where we literally do not know how much money the Catholic Church has. The Catholic Church. Yes. It's changed a lot. Has, yeah, now has a huge 
financial footprint and impact. Uh, we have other, we have other episodes that go in depth upon this and, and we do, uh, ask you to check them out if you're interested. You can find them all on stuff they don't want you to know dot com. But money interacts with religion. One of money is one of the primary circuits of power now, right? And that circuit of power is being used uh, by various religious movements. And does it exist now as a religious movement of its own? We, I think we've done an all right job of outlining some pretty surprising similarities. And of course, we're not denigrating anybody's religion. We're not denigrating the economy. But we do see that these things are not as dissimilar as they might appear. You know, and, and this is without even getting into prosperity theology, mm. which, uh, you guys know, uh, Nolan, Matt, and Alex and I know about this because we're in the South of the United States. We're talking huge. about Creflo Dollar and Creflo trying to get, Dollar. trying to get those tithes that we were talking about mm-hmm. and get that. that he needs plane. another gold plated jet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, gotta get places or, you know, my Versace suits that I gotta wear because I have to. Look good before God. You look great in those Versace suits, Matt. Well, and just mm-hmm. the idea that you can convince other people that that is true enough that you get enough money for a plane. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's it's like when you look at it that way, you could argue that you know religion has its own specific purpose that can be positive in people's lives. Money also obviously gives you the ability to have a. Um, easily discernible way of taking care of your family and mm-hmm. getting services provided for yourself that you need, but they can kind of be tools of each other. Like money mm-hmm. can be a tool of religion and religion can be a tool of the powerful to manipulate people and get people to fall in line and act as they, the, they, the, they in our show, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, right. The, yeah. You are a peasant because that is the natural order of the world. Or like during the um, age of chattel slavery in the American South, where they would have pastors twisting religious ideology to say, if you are good slaves and do not rebel, you will go to heaven where you will wear white sackcloth and serve your masters forever. I think you're right. People are very, very good at twisting things to their own ends. As we, as we look at this, let's, let's recall the definition of a god. What is a god? It's a being or object believed to have more than natural abilities and powers, and it requires human worship, specifically one controlling a particular aspect or a piece of reality. So then by that definition, is it arguable that even if money itself is not a religion, it could be defined as a god? Oh, I think so. I absolutely think so. If if gods like Zeus, Indra, uh, Odin, or Woden... Let's just call him Wednesday. And Amun can exist inside the human mind for thousands and thousands of years as these unseen influencers that control various parts of life, the way you know, this definition of God is. Uh, then this tangible thing, this actual thing called money that has measurable control over the fate of everything living on this planet and the planet itself. I think that thing, money, should be considered the same, if not more powerful than a God. That's that's kind of crazy to say, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry that I said it for some of you, but for others, <laughs> there you go. Well, you know, think about it. It's like the old Batman argument, which they finally acknowledged in the latest trailer for the Justice League. It like, does Batman have a superpower? 
Well, if money is a representation of effort over time, then Batman most certainly does have a superpower. He has money to the point where it's like time travel. How many years would it take to build a cave and a, a Batmobile, a Batsuit alone by yourself? To have your own DARPA? So now you have, yes, now you have the hours of other people's labor. It's very close to time travel. And as paper currency continues to be phased out in favor of digitized numbers and accounts, money begins to seem more and more like an abstract unseen force, you know? And again, it's, it's a very, we are not, we are not saying that there are people who literally worship money. And we are not saying that any belief that you choose to have is anything other than your own. But we are saying that there are a surprising amount of similarities here. And it's an interesting question. And, you know, we, we went back and forth a little bit on who the, who were the they of this episode. Uh, they could be the people who were fixing interest rates just arbitrarily amongst themselves, conspiring to do so. Mm-hmm. That's not a theory. That's a fact. It could be the people that print the money, mm-hmm. the, the central banks and institutions that actually create the currency that gets loaned out. Yeah. But what do you think? We want to hear from you, which reminds us, uh, Usually we do three of these, but I think we've we've gone a little long today, so we'll just do two. It's time for Shout Out Corners. Our first shout out goes to Zachary. Zachary says, Love the show. At the end of the last episode, I think this one is referring to the serial killers episode. Mm-hmm. I believe. Okay. Uh, there was a discussion on essentially laundering Bitcoin, and you guys weren't sure if it was possible. It is. And it's done via via a tumbling service where your coins are deposited with the tumbling company, and then they send you a randomized set from other users. So I guess it sources bitcoins from other users and sends your bitcoins to fill back into their accounts, mm-hmm. um, and thus it breaks the traceable link. But I would say that's still traceable, but maybe not. Maybe the tumbling service doesn't keep a record of where the stuff went or all the different shards may maybe it makes it much more difficult to track. Mm-hmm. I can see that. Thanks, Zachary. I didn't know that tumbling was a thing. Yeah, yeah, that's interesting because I had I had no idea and I'm still sort of skeptical whenever somebody says I'll launder this for you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Even if I brought the bag of laundry to a laundromat. <laughs> yeah. I'm like I'm like, hold on, snake bite. Uh <laughs> snake bite doesn't trust new launderers. Uh but the the thing that I am skeptical about often is when people say, oh, this this is anonymous online. Yeah. Just because of the nature of the gatekeeping, I think you can make it difficult to trace something. But also, I completely believe that the public at large does not know the extent of intelligence agencies' tools. We don't know. Uh, the information that we get in leaks is probably several years old. So... I I am skeptical, but to know that it's even possible, Zachary, thank you so much for writing to us. Our next shout-out comes from and to, I guess, is a shout-out. I asked this before. Is it to somebody, or are they shouting out at us? Are we giving them a shout-out? Are we just, like, yelling at each other? We're just kind of, this is, we should change the name of the segment to the stuff they don't want you to know, Echo Chamber. Oh, man. I You know, I, I don't know about that, because I think people really enjoy... I mean, write in, ladies and gentlemen, let us know if you have 
a name that you would prefer, but I think I think we all really enjoy Shout Out Corner and Skadoosh. Yeah, sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle. I don't yeah. know. It's like a second a second catchphrase. Should I'm we sure. rebrand though? What do you guys think? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna say we stick with it uh, unless because all of our best ideas come from you, ladies and gentlemen. Unless you have one that we think will really just just pop. I mean, it's a tall order. Look, I'm gonna tell you don't don't get uh don't get your hopes up because I'm a big fan of Skadoosh. What if it's just Skadoosh? <laughs> and our then- first Skadoosh goes to <laughs> Zachary. Our next shout out comes from Iron Wang on Twitter. What? Um, yeah, that's, that's what his name. I don't know. It's probably his last name. It's a big world, guys. A lot yeah, of people no, got no, a lot of names. A lot of things <laughs> going on. A lot of nicknames abound. Um, he, uh, Iron, Mr. Wang asks, um, have you already or thought about doing a show about the thought police and or censorship or expression online? And he says, skadoosh. Oh, all right. That's thought a good, police. Yeah. Well, uh, well, Iron Wing, I think that we have done a couple things that you might enjoy. We talked about how bots or shills, as they're commonly called, will attempt to control a narrative for a controversial issue. Uh, and you can check that out on our website. As far as censorship, we talked a little bit about the search bubble in the mm-hmm. past, right? And that's where... Uh, for advertising purposes or for what they call a seamless experience, places like Facebook or Google will attempt to show you things they think you will readily agree with rather than things that would challenge your existing view. And it makes me, yeah, it makes me think about the, what is allowed to be talked about or the views that are allowed to be held, at least from a social norm perspective, like what is allowed and what isn't allowed be said and thought about mm-hmm. just just by the other other people who are walking around by yourself even right. that's interesting and that changes uh country to country mm-hmm. and sometimes uh culture to culture even yeah. right uh that that's a that's a great question iron wing uh thank you for <laughs> writing to us uh i think this concludes our but not our show never fear matt noel and i will be returning the very next week with uh something that will be completely different we can say we can say that much (laughs) yes uh in the meantime we hope you enjoyed our exploration of this this very fascinating question whether money can be called a religion uh write in let us know your opinion of this and and let us know if there's something more to the equation that you believe your fellow listeners should consider. In the meantime, as we always say, you can check out every episode that Matt Noel and I have ever, ever done on our website, deep breath, stuff they don't want you to know.com. If you prefer to uh, visit via social media, you can find us on Instagram and you can find us on Twitter. That's correct. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show on Instagram and Conspiracy Stuff on Twitter and Facebook. All right, everybody. If you don't want to do any of that stuff, you're a little paranoid about you know where you write things publicly on the Internet because you should be. If you're not, send us an email. We are conspiracy at HowStuffWorks.com.
Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirks Bentley, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more. For way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to buy now. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful. Because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really needs your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Jim Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts.